preach the word in season preach the word out of season preach the word with great patience and instruction preach with patience preach with patience and instruction The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, uh... It's a, it's a great day, a happy anniversary, Baltimore Bible Church. It's a joy to reach eight years of ministry, and I'm excited about uh, what the Lord is uh, doing through this congregation. Uh, God has blessed us with a, a congregation that's hungry for the word of truth, uh, that's eager to serve, that's filled with love for one another, and I'm blessed to be a part of, of this church, and I'm just looking forward to what the Lord will uh, continue to do uh, through us. And uh, we're also a congregation that understands the priority of evangelism. And uh, during this last week, uh, during our local uh, evangelistic outreach scatter, uh, which is a week of local evangelism, it was a tremendous joy to, to be a part of that uh, together with you. Uh, we had dozens of you that were out uh, with us uh, all week long. Uh, during this last week, we passed out literally thousands of, of gospel tracts. I think a little Baxter passed out a hundred by himself in one day. Uh, he said he wanted to reach a, a hundred, I remember one day. Uh, we had uh, hundreds of conversations all around Baltimore, uh, in Towson, at Lexington Market, at Mondamin, at uh, Planned Parenthood, as you heard uh, just a little bit earlier, at the kids camp in, in Catonsville as well. And uh, many of those conversations um, ended positively. Not all of them. Uh, we experienced a lot of rejection uh, as uh, Brian mentioned a little bit earlier, there are a lot of, uh, lots of hardness of, of heart on the, the parts of some people, people who didn't want to talk or engage with us at all. So we did experience a fair amount of rejection during the week. Uh, but we also experienced uh, people who received the tracks, uh, people who were willing to talk to us, uh, people who were even willing to, to pray. And uh, a lot of these conversations ended positively. And we're thankful to, to the Lord for that. That's exciting uh, when you can look back at a week where so many conversations happened and so many people were willing to consider Jesus. But it can also be discouraging as well. And it's discouraging because many people who are considering Jesus are not following Jesus. And there are even a a good number of people who spoke well of Jesus who are not following Jesus. There are thousands who heard, there are hundreds who considered, and there are few who follow. And the, the more you share the gospel, uh, sometimes it can be the less hopeful that you can become of seeing real gospel transformation. Uh, this week, uh, we were able to, to speak with people who were literally brought to tears as they heard the gospel. Literally brought to tears. I spoke with uh, one man who leaned on the, the wall outside of Planned Parenthood just bawling as he heard the, the good news that was proclaimed to him. And uh, he admitted that he was a sinner. He admitted that he needed help. And uh, he's just in, in tears. And he said, you know, please, please pray for me. Please pray for me. I was able to pray for him. And he said, well, you know, I'll, I'll be down the street. I'll, I'll be right back. I never saw him again. 
Never saw him again. There was another man who heard the, the message of the gospel at Lexington Market, and he looked up at me with tears in his eyes. He says, that was a, that was a great message that you just shared. We are able to preach the gospel in the open air down at Lexington Market. And uh, he looked up at me with, with tears, and he says, that was, that was a great message. I know, I know I need help. The message was good. Please pray for me. Pray for me, please. So we prayed for him. Look forward to, to seeing him uh, again, having further conversations, but never saw him again. There's another young lady at Lexington Market who was so broken, it was obvious that uh, sin was grinding the life out of her. I uh, spoke to her, and uh, uh, she talked about how her life was filled with uh, abuse and addiction. She was weeping loudly in, in public, and she said, I don't care who hears me. I, I, I know I need help. I don't care who hears me. Can you please pray for me? She didn't want to share any information uh, for us to follow up with her, but she wanted prayer. She knew that she needed prayer. She wanted us to pray for her family. She wanted us to pray for her daughter. She was likely in her 20s. She said she came from Chicago and uh, just lived a really broken life, had been given over to abuse as a child to support her mother's habit to drugs. And my heart broke for her and many who are like her. There are many who said that, that I want Jesus. I want Jesus. But there are many who are not following Jesus. And the more you experience that, the more disheartening and discouraging it can be. Is anybody with me? <laughs> it can be discouraging sharing the gospel sometimes. You know it's the truth. You know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. But it can become so discouraging to share the gospel because so many do not follow Jesus. They might speak words about Jesus. They might speak praise about Jesus. They might say, yeah, I know that Jesus is the truth. But they're still not willing to follow Jesus. And I know that some of you have uh, friends and family members that, that seem like, you know, maybe they're almost there. They're right there. They seem like they're so close. They appear interested. They're asking great, great questions. But at the end of the day, there's no substance there because they're still not willing to follow after Christ. So what's, what's going on with that? Why, why do so many people who seem to seek after Jesus not follow after Jesus? And how can we keep motivated in the face of so much discouragement when scatter week is over and we're faced with the reality that evangelism is hard work? How do we keep going on? How do we keep sharing that same message? Paul told, told Timothy that the work of an evangelist was work. It's work to share the gospel. 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Evangelism is sobering, endured, endurance-filled, hard work. You, you need to be filled with endurance to stay with the task, to fulfill the ministry. It's hard work to evangelize, to open your mouth and to proclaim that same message that you know has been rejected before, and then again, and then again. But what does the Lord tell you to continue to do? I've got to keep sharing. I've got to keep sharing. This is what we're called to do. We've been left here to do this. This is our great what? It's the Great Commission. This is what we've been given by the Lord. He's committed us to doing this. But often this can be difficult work. Why does it seem like so many people who seem like they're attracted to Christ don't follow after Christ? And for that, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we find a group of people and it seems pretty encouraging on the surface because it says that this group of people was seeking after Jesus. Sounds great. 
Look at John chapter 6. Look at verse 22. John chapter 6. It says, The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, doing what? Seeking Jesus. Here they are, they're, they're looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me. You're looking for me. Many people are seeking after Jesus. But as Jesus begins to offer himself as the bread of life, as the the one who's come down from heaven, as the one who, who demands commitment to himself, we find out that many of the people who seemed like they were coming to Christ had no real appetite for Christ. They had no appetite for the bread of God. And there's at least four basic questions that Jesus really pushes this crowd to answer, and they're the same ones I want you to consider today. Are you seeking a physical life from Jesus or a spiritual life? Are you seeking an earthly relationship with Jesus or a heavenly relationship? Are you seeking an easy way? Are you prepared to deal with the difficult way? And are you going to seek a different way instead of the only way? So let's start with the first question. Are you seeking physical life instead of spiritual life? Look again at verse 22. It says, The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Let's uh, bow our heads quickly for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just ask that you'd open up this word to us. Help us to understand these things. Behold wonderful things in your word. Help us to apply these things to our life. Help us to have a, a better view of Christ, that we look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Father, I pray that you would help this text to be an encouragement to us in the work that we're called to do. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. It says that there were these, uh, this crowd that was looking for Jesus, and they're standing here at the small boat. This, this is uh, on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee, by the shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. They're looking at this boat. And you say, why, why are they here looking at this boat? That's strange. Well, they were here because it's the next day. And the next day follows the day before, right? And what happened the day before? You have to know what happened the day before. What happened the day before the next day? On the day before, they had just witnessed one of the greatest miracles they had ever seen, which is the feeding of the 5,000. Those were men. If you counted up the women and children, this could have likely been a group of fifteen to 20,000 people that were fed by Jesus from a sack lunch. They, they had a, a feast from a little boy's lunch, a little snack. It's the only miracle besides the resurrection that every gospel writer records. It's that significant. And the people were not just fed, they were stuffed. If you look back in uh, verse 12, where it says, When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. That word for filled is the Greek word kortazo. uses a, a word that means to be satisfied. Verse 26, 
Uh, actually, it's verse 26. It uses a different word for cortazo. Filled was a normal word for filled. Cortazo in verse 26, um, it says, you saw the signs, you ate the loaves, and were filled. That word filled, that's the, the Greek word cortazo right there, which means to be fattened up. It was actually the word that was used to uh, fatten up an animal before the slaughter. So, so it, it didn't, didn't just mean like, you know, hey, I, I've had enough. No, it meant like I, I can't eat another bite. You ever had that feeling? It's just like, you know, Thanksgiving time, Christmas, whatever meal that you have, it's just like, yeah, that pie looks good, but I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. There's limits here. You know what I mean? There's limits to this thing. This is how these people were. They were filled. They were stuffed. And this wasn't something that they were likely to experience often. Many of the people in this part of the nation during this time uh, were people who were living at a subsistence level. They were people who were impoverished. They weren't, they weren't used to eating until they were stuffed. Even the, the lunch that this uh, boy had kind of pointed to how poor this area was. Uh, the, the, the snack that he had was barley bread. Barley bread was the, the bread of the poor. It was the cheapest bread that you could buy. And the, the fish that spoke enough for the, this you know, fish that, that was brought as well. You, know, you will learn about the, the loaves and the fish. The fish that was brought, the, the word for fish, isn't like your big kind of dinner fish you know, that you kind of have to haul in, reel in. No, it's, a, it's like a little sardine. It's, it's a, a small fish, small fish. Basically, it's like you know, just to give the bread some taste. You kind of spread the, the fish on the bread to kind of give it some taste. It's not like very substantial. He had this, this little barley bread, cheap bread, these little fish that he kind of put on the, the bread, and, and that was his, his lunch, a little snack. But Jesus uses the snack food and creates a feast for thousands. Thousands of people ate from this meal. Look at verse 15. After they, they ate from this meal, verse 15 says, So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him what? King! Crown him with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns. If you can feed us like this, Lord, we want you to be king. Jesus, I mean, Jesus is my king. You know, Jesus for president. You know, I want Jesus as my president. Jesus is king. We, we want him to be king. If he can feed us like this, I mean, this, this is the guy that we want in charge. So they're looking at this small boat because they don't want the, the bread maker to get away. We're, we're looking for Jesus. We're seeking Jesus. The disciples left the night before. They didn't see Jesus in the boat. So they're looking at the one boat that's left, saying that Jesus has to get on this one. So they're looking at this boat, making sure that the boat doesn't get away because we want Jesus. But no one counted on Jesus being able to walk on water, which is exactly what happened in verse 19. Jesus walked on water in the middle of the, the night and came by foot. And eventually the people figure out that, you know, Jesus isn't going to show, but maybe we can find his disciples and we can find Jesus. So let's go on the other side of the lake and find the disciples so we can find Jesus. Verse 23, it says, there came other small boats from the Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Here they are. Capernaum was located on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a small city. So it would have been relatively easy to find the disciples on this side of the lake. And then they find Jesus. Look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get here? Had no explanation for how he got onto the other side of the sea. But Jesus doesn't even entertain their question. Look what he says in verse 26. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're not here because you have a spiritual interest. You're here because you have a physical interest. They weren't there because they recognized him as the Messiah. They didn't recognize him as the Son of God. They weren't there to to become his followers. You know why they're there? They're there for breakfast. That's why they're there. And Jesus says, you're just satisfied with the sign. The sign was intended to point them somewhere. If, if you, uh, you know, you're driving on 95 and you see a sign, it says New York, you know, you don't pull over on the side of the road and say, hey, there it is, New York, New York, we're here. You know, where, where's, the, where's the statues at? You know, I want to see the Statue of Liberty. Where, where, where's she at? Lady Liberty. You know, you, you don't stop at the sign. The sign is intended to point you somewhere, Right? They were just looking at the, at the sign. They're just satisfied with the sign. But the sign was there to point them to Christ. He's the end, not the sign. Actually, if uh, you look over in John chapter 20, verses uh, 30 and 31, if you want to flip over there real quick just to show you this. John chapter 20, it lets us know what the purpose of the signs were. Look at verses 30 and 31, John 20. It says, therefore, this is John speaking here, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The sign was not there for its own sake. The sign was to point you to Christ, but the crowds couldn't see further than the next meal. Jesus wanted to bring before them spiritual realities, but the crowds were so focused on this physical existence, earthly existence, that they totally missed what Jesus was trying to communicate, satisfied with the sign. Christ uses a a similar concept over in verse 27 where he says, do not work for the food which perishes. Don't work for the the food that's going to disappear, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the Father God has set his seal. That the signs were a seal of the Father on Jesus' life to say, this one is the real deal. That's what the signs were doing. They were authenticating the Son of God. A seal was used as an identifying mark to show authenticity. Uh, When when a king wanted to to make a, a word official, what he would do is he would take out his signet ring, you know, kind of press it into to wax or clay that was, you know, rolled up on a document and kind of placed on the top of the document. He'd place his signet ring on there to say, this really came from me. No, nobody else can get this ring. Only, only I have this ring or whoever I give it to can get this ring. But if it has this signature on it, the signet, the stamp of approval, this says that this is authentic. And Jesus Christ was authenticated to say that he's the real deal because of the signs that he was able to perform. It was an identifying mark. So here's the Son of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ in the flesh. He's making himself evident to those who are around him by his miracles. But instead of people saying like, hey, this, this is the message from God. This is the Messiah of God. This is the, the one that we've been looking for. They're just like focused on the wax seal. They don't want to open up the document. <laughs> They're just focused on the sign. They're focused on the seal. They're focused on the identifier instead of who does it identify. You understand? And they worked for what perished. The, the food that you eat comes in one end, goes out the other, and it's gone. Totally mess what endures for eternal life. And in fact, if they could get a hold of the bread without Jesus, they would be just fine with that. Look at verse 28. 
Therefore, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? You know, you know what they're saying? Like, like Lord, if, if we can do the signs that you do without you, <laughs> hey, that, that works for us. Like, you know, cut out the middleman. We can get right to, to what we want. That's what they're saying. Lord, like, how can we work the works of God? Jesus wasn't an essential part of their plan. He was secondary. And it must have been a disappointment for them to hear that the true work is to believe on him. But if that's the route they have to go, they say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll believe on you. Jesus says, verse 29, said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. So they said to him, what, what then do you do for a sign? If, if you can't give us this power, like what are you going to do for a sign so that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? And then listen what they, they have the audacity to say. Look at verse 31. Uh, our, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Just, just in case you want an idea, Jesus, of kind of like the signs we're looking for. Uh, we're we're kind of like looking for that bread again. You know, like, like kind of what you did yesterday. Can, can you do that again? And, and, and maybe you can, you can even make it rain from heaven. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and bread rained from the skies. You know, just in case you, you need an idea, dear Jesus, what you did yesterday was really good. Can, can you repeat that? And there's no way to satisfy a crowd like this. They totally missed it. Most of the nation perished in the wilderness, even though they had the, brain, the, the, the bread raining from heaven. Most of the Israelites dropped dead, ate the bread, and died. So he makes another attempt to redirect their attention to spiritual things. Look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of heaven is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then verse 34, then they said, Lord, always give us this bread. You ever talk to somebody and they like totally miss it, just goes like right over their head? This is, this is exactly what's going on. Jesus is saying, like, like, like the bread is me. I'm the bread. But they're on the same track. They're still thinking physical, physical, physical. Lord, always give us this bread. What they're talking about is another meal. So, so there's no other channel for these people. Jesus is pointing them to himself as the true bread, the bread that comes down from heaven, but they're consumed with an earthly life. And that's the first question that I want to ask. Are you seeking a physical life or a spiritual life? When Jesus was talking about being the bread, he wasn't talking about filling your stomach He's talking about filling your soul. And if you came to Jesus for anything else besides Jesus, you're going to leave and be disappointed. If you come to church for anything else besides Jesus, you should be disappointed. Because I'm here for Christ. And that's what we have to offer as Christ. That's what Paul said he offered, right? He said, I, I came to you, you know, not proclaiming anything else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, we proclaim him. Proclaim him. It's all about Jesus. We labor to see people come to Jesus Christ. But these people were just thinking physical, physical, physical. What, what can I get out of this relationship? Physical life. That's all they were worried about. And there's so many people who are coming to Christ today just for the physical, tangible gifts. They're about the gifts and not the giver, right? And so many uh, expressions of, of Christianity, it's all about, you know, what, what can I get? You know, you, you trust God for the stuff. You know, you believe in God for the blessings. You know, blessings come down, you know. Praises go up and the blessings come down. 
you know, they're worried more about the blessings than they are about Christ himself. How many people are willing to say, you know, Christ, if you never gave me anything, you are enough. You're enough. What, what do I desire in heaven on earth but besides thee, right? As the psalmist said. That should be our, our goal, that we want Christ. We want Christ. It's not about the physical blessings that I get from Christ. Christ is the blessing. And he's enough. He's satisfying. Christ is the one who satisfies my life. I remember I was uh, uh, listening to a, a ministry panel. There was a, a youth pastor in L.A. And uh, there was somebody who came to his ministry to kind of view what he was doing. And they said, uh, you know, how do, how do you expect to compete with uh, like Hollywood and, you know, Disneyland and all the stuff that's going on out here? How, how do you expect to attract people to the church? And I, I'll never forget what he said. He says, you know, what, what would I look like trying to compete in the entertainment capital of the world? <laughs> you know, if, if I'm trying to get people to come here for the show, there's a lot better shows going on out there, right? But he says, if I can get people to fall in love with this book right here, there's nothing in the world that can take them away. What we offer people is Christ, and we exalt him through his word, amen? Are you seeking a physical life or a spiritual life? Are you just seeking what you can get out of Christ rather than Christ himself? Number two, are you seeking an earthly relationship with Christ rather than a spiritual one? Take a look at verse 35. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down not from uh, heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 41. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They're saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? At this point, they're, they're, they're getting the idea that, that Jesus is saying, I'm not your average everyday prophet. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm come from heaven. I, I'm, I'm from a heavenly origin. And these people, they were willing to have Jesus as a prophet they were even willing to have Jesus as the king, but they were not willing to have Jesus as God. They were not willing to have him as, as God. They say in, uh, in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 18 and 15, uh, uh, talks about a prophet who would come in, in verse 14 of this same chapter, uh, when he performed his signs, uh, if you look back at verse 14, it says, therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Oh, we're, we're happy to have him as a prophet, in verse 15, they were trying to take him by force to make him king. I'm happy to have you as a king as long as I get to tell you what to do. <laughs> that's the kind of king that, that we're looking for. And we're looking for a king that's kind of on our level, not somebody who claims that they're coming from heaven. What he spoke about was a little too, too much for them. He claims to be the bread that came down from heaven, verse 38. Verse 46, it says that he claims to come from God. And when Jesus speaks of his coming from heaven or from God, he speaks of an awareness of who he truly is in his essence, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And in verse 41, they start murmuring, mumbling, grumbling, speaking privately, quietly against Jesus. Look at what they say in verse 42. They say, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, 
whose father and mother we know, how, how does he now say I've come down out of heaven? They're, they're making a joke out of it. This is the same response that Jesus received in his hometown of Nazareth back in Mark chapter 6, verses 2 to 3, where they said, you know, where, where does this man get all these things from? You know, this teaching. I mean, who, who does he think he is? In verse 3, they said, is it not this the carpenter? You know, he's a woodworker or maybe even a stone worker. You know, this, this, is, this is a blue-collar guy. You know, he's the son of Mary. I know Mary, the brother and, of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. We know his brothers. We know his family. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. How dare you claim to be somebody that we're not? Jesus refers to his deity when he speaks of himself being the source of life. In verse 39, he says, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, I'm the source of life. I give life. I will raise up life. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son of Man gives life to whomever he wishes. John 5, 21. So now they're getting the point that uh, Jesus is claiming to have a superior authority, superior origin. And when you acknowledge who Jesus is, it obligates you to obey him, right? So the response is, who, who does he think he is? As long as we can, you know, call him a prophet, a king, you know, maybe we can dismiss him. But as soon as he claims to be from God or God in the flesh, now we've got a different problem on our hands. Jesus demands that you bow the knee to him. He's the Lord, right? Every knee will one day bow. And even as People in the, the church, many people would much rather think of Jesus as a buddy and as a friend rather than the Lord of glory. Jesus is God. And once you acknowledge that he's God, you also acknowledge that you have a responsibility to him. I spoke with uh, people this week. There was this one gentleman uh, down at Mondamin who uh, came up uh, you know, while I was preaching, sharing the gospel. He's like, hey, hey, let me get on the mic. I want to I share something too. It's like, no, it's, it's not that kind of party. We're not, we're not doing that, right? And he says, I, I said, what, what would you like to share? He says, I want to I let these people know that they're God. That's like, are you kidding me? The Bible says, worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, right? That's what the scripture says. He says, no, no, you need to exalt yourself. Come on, exalt yourself. And uh, after I explained to him that he was blaspheming the Lord, he started using all kinds of profanity. I hate your God. I hate your Jesus. And actually just expressing what's already in the heart of all men, right? Because the Bible lets us know that we're actually enemies of God. You know, because uh, he was high on something, you know, he let it out. But that's, that's what people believe in their hearts, right? We're, we're enemies of God. Without, without the transformation, without being regenerated, we are enemies of God. And exactly what this man said is exactly what we believe. I don't want your Jesus. I don't want your God. I want to be God. I want to be in charge. Why should I have to? I've talked to somebody who said, why should I have to worship anybody? Why should I have to give allegiance to anybody? If, if that's the kind of God that you have, that's a monster. I don't want to worship anybody. I'm God. Why do I have to bow the knee to him? Many people want an earthly relationship with Jesus. They're happy if Jesus is just one of us. But when we say that Jesus is not like us... <laughs> Jesus is above us. Jesus demands your loyalty and your worship. Jesus is God. And one day you'll bow the knee to him. People are uncomfortable with that kind of relationship with Christ. Why do people turn away? Why don't people follow after Jesus? Because that's the kind of Jesus we're telling them to follow. This is the Lord of the scriptures. Looking for an earthly relationship rather than a heavenly relationship. Number three, 
Are you seeking an easy way instead of a difficult way? Look at verse 43, after the crowds were grumbling about him saying that he's come from heaven, look at what happens next. Verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And at this point, verse 52 Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know what what Jesus was was doing? Jesus was turning up the heat and making it difficult. Making it difficult. This is fascinating to me. Because we just had a group yesterday, the day before, 15 to 20,000 people. I mean, that's a mega church if you ever wanted one, right? I mean, 15 to 20,000 people showing up and they're all seeking you? Are you kidding me? You know, the celebrity pastor is here. And if, if Jesus would just back off a little bit on this kind of language, you know, maybe he can keep them hanging around. In verse 52, they, they, they begin to argue and say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What, what is he talking about? Instead of making the truth simpler to understand, Jesus makes it even more difficult. We actually find a similar example that happens over in Matthew chapter 13. When people didn't want to receive the straightforward teaching of Jesus, what did he do? He started to teach in parables. You, you, you don't, you don't want to just follow me because I'm, I'm telling you to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I'm going to make it more difficult. Uh, there was a man who went to, to sow some seeds. He's making it more difficult for people. That's what he's doing in the parables. It's not to, oh, you don't understand this? Let me break it down and make it simpler. The parables were actually to make it more difficult. To, to say, if you really want me, if, if you really desire to follow me, you're going to be willing to follow me even if it's hard. He's separating the crowd, like the, the wheat from the tares in that sense, right? They have a problem with what Jesus has to say. Look at verse 53 again. Instead of just stopping at the flesh to eat, look at what Jesus says next, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And you're like, you've got to be kidding me. This is not what I learned in evangelism class. I remember reading this to, to my kids when they were younger, and they're like, Dad, that is gross. That is disgusting. I mean, why would Jesus even choose an illustration like this? Doesn't he know this language is offensive? Doesn't he know who he's talking to? I mean, this is a Jewish audience. They would have abhorred the drinking of blood. They would have stumbled over this. The idea of drinking blood would have been abhorrent to them. Back in uh, Genesis chapter 9, in verse 4, the, the Jewish people were forbidden to partake of blood. And now Jesus says, you have to drink mine. If you're going to have any life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, now what did Jesus mean by this? When, when, he, when he says that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 54. What did Jesus mean by that? Was this some kind of support of the Catholic Mass? You know, that, that in uh, partaking of the, the elements, you know, that you're actually eating the physical body and 
drinking the physical blood of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ is Jesus being re-sacrificed every week in the Mass, every time you go to a Mass? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Actually, if you compare Scripture with Scripture, it becomes very simple. Look at verse 54. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, listen to the results, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The results of eating the flesh and drinking the blood is having eternal life and being raised on the last day. Look back at verse 40. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will do what? Have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you know what's going on? This is simply a metaphor. Eating the flesh and drinking the blood is simply a metaphor for beholding the Son and believing on him. That, that's all it means. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus explains himself in this very context. It's not a support for the Catholic Mass. He's saying, if you would believe in me, behold me. That's eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And I will raise you up and give you eternal life. Same results. Trusting in Christ is the only means of receiving eternal life. All throughout the New Testament. It's never through communion or any physical act that we're saved. But Jesus uses this metaphor to make the point that you need to be absolutely unified with me. In uh, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. United with Christ. And Jesus knew that he would be misunderstood. He knew that they would be offended. But what he said was the absolute truth, and he makes no apology for it. No apology. Jesus was unafraid to speak these things, it says in the synagogue, verse 59. It says that these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. To have Christ was to have life, and he was unafraid to even make it more difficult for people. The question is, is are you looking for an easy way? If Christ turns up the heat and makes it difficult to follow after him, are you saying like, hey, I'm I'm out. You know, that's a little bit too much. You know, you're making it a little too uncomfortable for my friends. You know, my friends are offended by the language of Christ. Matthew chapter 16, it lets us know that if anyone would come after me, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you know what that means? That means that you're willing to die. Pick up the cross. What does that mean? I'm I'm on my way to death. This is it. Jesus says, even if I make it difficult, are you willing to follow after me? If you are a true believer, it doesn't matter how difficult Christ makes it. You're saying, Lord, I'm willing. Where where else am I going to go? Even if it's difficult, Lord, I'm here. And the last question, last question. Are you seeking a different way or are you seeking the only way? Look at verse 61. It says, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, so even his own disciples are now thinking like, Lord, like, can, you, can you bring it down? Bring it down a notch? Look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? You know, so now the crowds are starting to disperse, and the disciples are like, Lord, like, like, like we had it going on here. You know, there's crowds here, and now they're all leaving. Lord, who can, who can listen to this? Lord, can you bring it back? Bring it down, Lord, please. Have mercy. Jesus in verse 61 says, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, what, does, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? I mean, what is it going to take for you to believe? You know, that I just kind of float up into heaven? What is it going to take? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. 
but there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus wasn't even stopping even at his own followers. There, there's some of you who are even right here who don't believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. They were looking for another way at this point. He says, are, are you going to look for another way? Does this cause you to stumble? That word uh, stumble, it's the, the Greek word scandalizo. It, it means to be trapped. You know, it's, it's like the bait that was set for a, a trap for an animal. And he's basically saying, do you feel trapped by me? You know, like these words, do you feel like I'm, I'm kind of closing you in? Making you uncomfortable now? You know, these words. This is scandalous, right? So here he's talking to his disciples. It's uh, learners, followers. You know, those who were following after him, but it didn't necessarily mean that all of them were true believers. Because we know that at least one of them was a devil. <laughs> From the beginning. And Jesus is just relentless here. Relentless. Even you, does this cause you to stumble? Even you disciples, those who've been following with me, I, I know that some of you don't believe. There's some of you who don't get it. What if you see me just descending to where I was before? What sign is it going to take? If feeding the 5,000 wasn't enough, what else is it going to take? What's going to work? In verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And it's the words that I've spoken to you that are spirit and life. It reminds us of uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, which says that it's the sacred writings that's, that are able to give us the wisdom that leads to salvation. 1 Peter 1.23, that lets us know that we've been born again by the, the seed, the imperishable seed of the Word of God. Or Romans 10.17, that says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's the, the Word that brings life through the Spirit of God. And if their lives were going to be changed, they didn't need another miracle. They just simply needed to listen to the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit are sufficient. Sufficient. And I want you to understand something here. That throughout this, this text, and uh, we've kind of lightly touched on it, but, but Christ was leaning on the sovereignty of God. You, you want to know what the, the motivation is? Even when you talk to people and they're looking for an easy way and a different way and they don't want to acknowledge Jesus is coming from heaven and being God over them and, you know, they, 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 they're just looking after a physical life. You know, so you're out here spreading the message and it's like, like people aren't believing. And it, it just seems like, well, can we do something with the message and kind of make it more appealing to people? Don't, don't change the message. Don't change the message. Trust in the word of God and lean on the sovereignty of God. You know what encourages me to continue to go out and share the gospel? I believe in a God who's in control. I believe in a God who's in control. Look at back, back at verse 37. It's the same thing that Jesus leaned on. Listen to this. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. There are people that the Father is going to give me. Verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is all from him. This is God who has sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, the Father is giving him people, he's giving me people, that I will lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Look down at verse 44. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 65. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Do you know what Jesus trusted in? 
Even when he made it difficult, even when people wanted to turn away, I trust in the sovereignty of God that God is going to draw people to himself. When I go out and I share the gospel, when you go out and share the gospel, you can have the confidence that God is at work in ways that I can't work. And God will draw people to himself. All I do is preach the message, bring the word, and trust in the spirit of God to do his work. That's what we trust in. That's our motivation. Lean on the sovereignty of God. So Jesus turns to his disciples and says, hey, do you, do you want to turn away? You want to go? Like I said, he's relentless. But look at verse 68. And it's typical. Peter speaks up for the rest of the group. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> you, you have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of, of God. And finally, we have a real disciple. Would the real disciple stand up? Here it is. This is the real disciple. Lord, we don't have anywhere else. (laughs) Lord, if we leave you, there's nowhere else to go. I don't have any alternatives. We're not looking for a different way. We know you're the only way. This is it. We're, We're done. The search is over with, right? We've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's actually a messianic title, the Holy One of God, used over in Psalm 16 and verse 10. You are that Holy One of God. You are the one that was promised to come. You're you're the one that I believe in. He says, we believe that you're Messiah and we're not looking for another. So finally, we have people that are looking for a spiritual life instead of a physical life. We have people who who desire the heavenly relationship with Christ instead of just this earthly one. We have people who are willing to bear with the difficult way and not looking for an easy way. And we have people who are seeking the only way instead of a different way. These are the people who are left. His disciples, they're left, following after him, all but one. Look at verse 70. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Verse 71, now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. In the midst of these true disciples, you still had one. Still had one who was just drawn by the crowd, fascinated by the supernatural, you know, looking for what he could get out of it, was seeking Jesus for some kind of personal gain for himself. He, he wanted to make himself treasure. You remember he had the job of treasure. Why? So he could kind of skim off the top. He's looking for personal benefit in this. It was about him. Somehow he got his hand in the bag. He never had a true relationship with Jesus Christ. No understanding of divine truth. No hunger for salvation. And there might be somebody like that who's here today. Maybe you're attached to the church. You know, maybe you like to hang around the fellowship. Maybe there's some benefit that you get from being here. But maybe you don't really want a relationship with Christ. And I would urge you today to examine yourself. Do you want Christ for Christ? Is he your treasure? Is he your inheritance? Is he the one that you seek after? Are you looking just for the benefits? What can I get out of him? Are you really looking for Jesus Christ? And if you're, you're here and you're still considering Christianity, I want to let you know that just considering will do you no good. Just considering doesn't do you any good. You have to take it in. You have to receive it. You have to embrace it, right? John MacArthur said there's many who come around and they, they come around the bread and they sniff the bread. They look at the bread. They admire the bread. They analyze the bread. They philosophize about the bread. They speak well of the bread. They handle the bread. They praise the bread. But what won't they do? They won't eat it. 
They won't take it in. They won't behold the Son and believe in Him, trust in Him, and say, Lord, I want to be united to you. Just speaking well of the bread won't do you any good. You've got to take it in, right? You've got to take it in. And the temptation for us sometimes is, you know, Lord, nobody's taking the bread. Can we, can we kind of change it around? You know, maybe add some cinnamon and sugar to the bread. <laughs> you know, kind of spice it up a little or something. But the Lord doesn't allow us that opportunity to change the message, right? You just give the message and trust in the Lord. He is sovereign, and he will do the work of drawing people to himself. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, this time that we've had in your word. Now, Father, I pray that you would encourage us. And so many of us, Lord, I might become discouraged and disheartened when we speak to people. And so many people seem so close and they speak so well of Christ, but they're still not willing to embrace Jesus Christ, to behold the Son and believe in him, to trust in him for their eternal lives. Now, Father, I pray that you would give us encouragement, uh, that we can't change the message, we can't change the method. We've got to give the word. We've got to trust in the spirit of God. And Father, you are sovereign and you are still drawing people to yourself. Father, we trust in you. And Father, we we pray that you'd help us to be faithful to you, faithful to what we've been called to do. It's hard work, God. Sometimes it can be discouraging work, but it's a work that we've been called to do. Help us to fulfill our ministry, to do the work of an evangelist. And Father, even if if it's difficult and we don't see the results, Father, may we place the results in your hands. And knowing that some of the people that we talked to, even this week, that we may never know what the results are until we get to glory. (laughs) And Father, there's coming a day when uh, the work that we've done here for you will one day be revealed, when we're revealed with Christ in glory. And Father, I pray that we'd look forward to that time. And uh, Father, I I pray that uh, you would bless your people, God. Uh, Keep them encouraged and keep them looking to your word. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.